Welcome back to another episode of our Eagle Perspective podcast. We are once again today joined by our head of schools, Rod Gilbert, as we continue on in our Yard of Books series. And today we're going to dive into some historical fiction. Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about it because I love historical fiction. I do too. I'm also excited about it because we have a special guest this week in the marvelous Marvel guest. We all marvel at her. Uh, we do. I mean, she so is a marvel. We got she that is a marvel, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like there's obligatory marvel puns, I think, <laughs> that if we didn't do, we would just we would just not be up to the task. But first of all, welcome. Thank marvel. you. Thank you. It's fun to be here. We are really glad you're here. I know this is a special time for you. It is. You are retiring at the I end am. of the school year. After how long have you been at Santa Fe? All told, 28 years. Okay. And you have 30 taught... 30 years of teaching, but... 28 here. Okay. And mm-hmm. you've taught in both the high school and the middle school. Yes. You were a principal for a time, yes. correct? Yes. And okay. a vice principal. Okay. Um, and you are also the punniest, funniest <laughs> person on campus. Amen. Oh, I don't know about that. I, no, it's unquestioned. So for those of you who don't know at home, typically when somebody leaves or retires, Marvel writes these just hilariously funny Pun poems. Is that the best way to describe them? Uh, you said it. That's a good way. Okay. And so, are you writing one for yourself? I am. Okay. Yes. Really? Because <laughs> it, it would not be the proper send-off without an amazing pun uh, from Todd Marvel. asked me to write a couple for some other people who are retiring. And then I said, and well, I'll just go ahead and write my own. Okay. So. And will you be available for hire next year when we have people leave? Like, can that be a side gig? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Contract funding. My That's next right. occupation. Yeah. Okay, so you've brought the book today. I have. So why don't you tell us about the book that you have chosen? I love historical fiction. That's my favorite genre. And so I brought The Bronze Bow by Elizabeth George Spear. And it is a Newbery winner, and I have taught it every year. And it has so much in it. There's so much wonderful teaching tools, figurative language, all kinds of stuff I'll get into as we're talking. But I love it. It's a good book. And you've taught this most recently to seventh graders. Sixth graders. Sixth graders. Yes. Okay, so sixth Mm -hmm. graders. So, Rod, you said you hadn't read this book. Yeah. And yet here it's on your Yard of Books podcast. So why put it in your Yard of Books? I read up to about chapter 11 over okay. the weekend. And I'd, so when you're doing the podcast, don't spoil the ending. I don't, I I don't know right. what Daniel does. All right. I don't know what happens. Okay. But okay. you were pretty taken by it. I'm very taken by it. It's It's been one of the books, both of my previous schools had it in the sixth grade. Oh, it's So it's been one of those that my children read. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was always somewhere in my world that I should have read it, but hadn't for whatever reason. And... I was looking for books to be in this yard of books that would be entry points to connect our age groups with our moms and dads. And so if moms and dads could see why this makes it to the short list, um, then I think it's good to put in the yard of books. I, I would add to it that when we pick a big book to read, like a, one of the huge books for each grade level, you've heard me say this, we, there are no, we don't read any good books here because there's so many excellent ones, exactly. we don't have time to read the good books. And I would list this based on my my three schools that I've attended. All sixth grade teachers always made sure this was on the list. I've not been as much of a historical fiction lover. Like I like it, but like probably the best historical fiction for me was Farmer Boy, Laurie Eagles. Oh, Wild. I love yeah. that book. Yes. So, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what the book's about? All right, this takes place in first century Israel, 
and it is the time of Jesus when the Roman Empire has occupied all of the Mediterranean, including Israel. And so some horrendous things have happened in the process of Rome overtaking all of the areas that it has. And it starts off with our main character, Daniel, who is what we would call a freedom fighter. And he's from the area of Israel called Galilee. And he is up in the mountains and he is with a band of zealots up there, freedom fighters, who are plotting and planning to get back at Rome, to get Rome off of their backs. And so that kind of is a a good setting for this time period. So we're talking right around 30, probably 32 or so. So Jesus is still alive? Jesus is still alive. And he uh, makes appearances in this book, which to me makes it even more exciting because it it places Jesus in a historical time frame where kids really don't have a a time frame to put Jesus in. And so we have had a historical interdisciplinary unit that we've started to go along with history. And they can place Jesus and they know what was happening. And so when Jesus is talking in the New Testament. He's talking about uh, when someone asks you to walk a mile, they go all of a sudden they understand it from this story because it happens in this story where a Roman tells them to carry his pack for a mile and they had to do it. It was by Roman law, they had to do it. So then all of a sudden that part of the scripture makes sense to them. They say, oh, that's why. That's why they do that. So bringing that context to the gospel Mm -hmm. and the Bible is a key part of this book, right? It is. I'd love to hear your comment on this. It crisscrosses into another genre of sort of coming of age fiction. Where Daniel is prematurely forced into a lot more heartache and trauma because of some trauma in his life. So yes. do you see it as sort of a coming-of-age book as well? Because that that's what's intriguing me is his struggle from boyhood to manhood. Yes. And what's the good that he carries and what does he let go of? It truly is a coming-of-age book because he, as you were talking about, he suffers a, a horrendous trauma at the hands of the Romans in right. his life. His dad and his uncle are actually crucified as the Roman form of execution. And his mom then is at the foot of the cross for a couple of days and nights, and she dies about two weeks afterwards. And so he has committed himself. He has vowed before God that he is going to take revenge and that that's all he lives for. He stays How old was he? He was eight. I couldn't tell. Oh, yeah. He was eight. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And the book opens when that. he's 18. Okay. Oh, yes. so he's had 10 years of, of hatred, of, of plotting vengeance. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize he was 18. Yeah. And, okay. yes. Interesting. And he, many times in the book, it talks about that's all I live for. Yeah. It's I'm going to get, get back, revenge. In fact, that is a major theme in the book is hatred and love, Hmm. hatred and love. And so it's interesting how he grows in this whole process. He, at the beginning, his big hero is a person who is the leader of the freedom fighters, the leader of the zealots up on the mountain. Rosh. Rosh. And he and the other people believe that he is probably the Messiah. 
because he's going to get Rome off their backs. Well, yeah. I, I, one time Daniel said, I think he's the one. Yes. But, but did he mean politically, the sort of the zealot, like to free them from Roman rule? Did he mean salvation? Or he both? meant or both. both. Yes. He, okay, I missed that. I yeah, could tell he, the political side. I didn't yeah. see that. I couldn't tell if they were seeing him as a spiritual uh, salvation. It's very interesting because... They see, they don't see Jesus as the Messiah, but well, they see Rosh as the Messiah. Why? Why don't they? Uh, they, they run into him pretty early on, and he's he is, speaking in the synagogue. Yes, he is a person of interest. But Daniel, when he listens to him, as soon as Jesus says yeah. the kingdom is at hand, he's there. He's all excited. Let's go fight. But, yes, but Jesus disappoints him because he leaves it there, and he does not call them to action. He does not call them yeah. to or at least to go against Rome. In the way that they want to exactly. it's a kingdom exactly. action. Exactly. It's different than political kingdom. They action. don't have an understanding of Jesus. In fact, they along with the, the rulers of the synagogue are mystified by him and they don't really know what's happening. And so it's a growth process that happens and as they discover who is the Messiah yeah. And who is not? There's, I mean, gosh, for, I'm just thinking for sixth graders, there's a whole great dialogue there for anybody around. So what happens when God isn't who I want him to be? Exactly. Right? It lends itself. Well that's one of the other things I love so much about this book. It lends itself to so much discussion. And just the themes itself, the freedom and chains, uh, those are two big things. Metaphorical language. This is a lot of times the... A sixth graders first really deep dive into metaphorical language. And so when he says that he is chained to his forge, he's a blacksmith because he must stay there to support his family. At one point in time, uh, Spear says he's home taking care of his grandmother and his sister and the bars slide into place. Oh. So we talk about, yeah, are those real bars? So it's this walk into what metaphorical language is. Some more uh, figurative language that the author excels in is personification. And they have some great examples. Fear retreated into the corners. Or he looked at her eyes and they were like windows. You have the simile, they were like windows and only fear looked out. Mm. And uh, so it's some really dramatic, wonderful personification there that they use. Great foreshadowing. Many times in this book, different pieces of scripture are brought in. And one of the scriptures is from John. No greater love has this than a man laid down his life for his friend. Oh, wow. We talk in class about what Jesus calls us, his friend. Mm. And how, what a an amazing comparison that is. Yeah. That's another thing I like about it. We talk, it brings up Jairus's daughter yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. It brings up the Good Samaritan story in the Bible. Mm. And it's interesting because I will say, how many of you know what the Good Samaritan story is? And I go through that story because about a third of them don't know that story. Mm. And so we talk about that in context. Daniel goes at one point in time, he follows this group. He's looking for Jesus. He's trying to find Jesus. Can't find him. He follows all these people. And you find out it's the feeding of the 5,000. Oh. And oh he's gosh. kind of on the end of this group, this crowd. And he says, 
what's going on? You know, what's happening here? And then somebody goes, what's wrong with you? Did you lose your wits? Uh, what's wrong with you? It's, he's feeding us. I saw at one point they called him well, that carpenter from Nazareth. Yes, yeah. yes. And the, the historical license that the author took, which helped me from the humanity of Christ. Yes. Was, uh, he said, what's he doing in town? Well, he's teaching, but he's also, um, he's, He's like doing some woodwork too. Right. Yes. Yeah, he got yes. a job. Yeah. 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 He got a, he got a contract. He's like job. Paul's tent maker. Yeah. Yes. He's doing some woodwork on and the side. Yeah. That's probably true. That's like probably I'll, true. Yes. I'll give Spear that license. Yes. That's probably true. Also, I mean, he's staying at Bethsaida with Simon. Yeah. They often find him down at the shore, fishing at the shore, talking with the fishermen there, yeah. laughing and talking with them. It gives a yeah. an interesting and, and good description of Jesus and their their perspective of him is so real and even the Pharisees in the and the rulers in the synagogue Jairus is one of the right. rulers of the right. uh, at the synagogue and and they're like oh get out of his way don't let him see us here talking to Jesus oh and he's the one who wants something hmm. and yeah. so that's also fun to to see that yeah well, I can see just by watching you talk about it. I mean, it hits on so many things, yes. right? Both from a English academic language learning standpoint. Yes, yes. But has so beautifully woven in the gospel and um, the, the message of Jesus. So it must be fun to, to get to walk. Oh, my goodness. That's, and to have license yeah. to do that, to talk yeah. about it so freely. That's a wonderful thing. It's interesting, one of the things they are talking about, uh, Jesus is telling Daniel about the rich young ruler and he's, that comes to him and he says, uh, just yesterday I had somebody who came up to me and said, what should I do to follow you? And he said, give up all you own and give it to the poor and then you can follow me. And Daniel, who has not a penny to his name, says, well, I'll give you everything I have. <laughs> and it, Jesus has this humor, <laughs> this little humorous twinkle in his eye. He goes, oh, no, that's not what I would ask of you. No. He goes, you must give up your hate. Mm. And that's a, such oh, wow. a teaching moment to us to, in, that's so fun in class. And they take it from this that anything that comes between us and God. And I share with them, I said, you know, I love my husband so much. Do you think I'm ever tempted to put him in the wrong place to put him before God? And they were looking at me like, is this a trick question? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. Or my daughter, am I tempted to put her in the wrong place? I love her so much, am I tempted to do that? And so it, to each one of us, I mean, it could be soccer. It could be yeah. anything. Yeah. So you can see why I like it so much. It's so rich in discussion, rich in thematic parts to it, to talk about the, the language itself, the, the devices that she uses. You feel like you're there. Yes. When Joel and Thrace, when they first see Daniel. Yes. And they have the food they decide to share with yes. them. Yes. There's, there's some sentence like, uh, they offered him food and he was shocked. And then when they divided the portions up, they divided them up equally. Uh-huh. And then he was even surprised that they were sharing their food. Yes. And then it said there was some phrase like, and it was the first time that his muscles began to relax. Yes. And I thought there's some kind of human magic about hospitality. Yes. It was just beautiful. 
they didn't know how uptight he was. They didn't know what he was going through. But she let us see how awfully uh, upside down he was. Yes, yes. And there's a lot to that, too, that it, it brings in. Jesus was such a lifter of women in the culture. That I was telling the girls that, you know, it was patriarchal society. And so they were somewhere around livestock, uh, below or right above or somewhere around there. And so it, we talk about a dowry in here, and we talk about the Roman customs versus the Jewish customs and how in that sometimes they would skimp with the woman. Mm. And so even in that example that you wow. give, it was oh. three equal portions. Mm. Oh, okay. And yeah. so that was kind uh, of interesting too. The paternal side of it. Yeah. When you're teaching the book, do you, is it all where the kids read it at home and come back and talk about it? Or do you do read aloud sometimes with this age group? You know what? This age group and this lexile is a little too difficult on the average to read Explain it what, on the I, I know what you mean by lexile. Explain that. Difficulty of yeah. vocabulary. Yes. Right? Like, yes. There's they, a lexile score for every book of literature. Exactly. And they two. take the vocabulary, the comprehension of it, they put it into a right. formula, and then they put, a, put it in hundreds. And so this is uh, about a 900 on the Lexile, 900 to about 1,000. Okay. So I find that you can always read to your children higher level than you could have them read. Oh, voice inflections and where to emphasize. Absolutely. Uh, Context and the whole thing. I mean, I have a whole thing about reading with your children as far as the benefits of it from all the way from the emotional benefit of them climbing up in your lap when they're little, being close to you. Uh, all the way through to listening to your parent do their phrases even mm-hmm. and the context, the inflection they use. And it goes all the way to family jokes, inside jokes. Oh. I cannot tell you how many inside jokes we have to this day with my 29-year-old daughter that we still do. Uh, she Just the other day, she said, what'd you make, cast foot jelly? And we all laughed because... When she was little, we read all the time, and as a family, not just one of us, but we read as a family. And so in Pollyanna, one of the things she does is she makes this calf's foot jelly, and she starts giving it to everybody. And so I had this idea that with every book, we would do a project. And so with Little House on the Prairie, you know, one of those books, we made candles. And so on this one, we went to the grocery store. We found these little cow's feet. I didn't even know they had had these. And I took it home and I made calf's foot jelly. And so we all took a spoon after it was all set up and everything. So we all took a bite at the same time. And then we all spit it out at the same time. <laughs> That's and so it was so, and so she would always tell her it? friends, oh, my mom made this disgusting thing, but with everybody. But, so. you, but what you did is you took, you took the value of cultural fluency. Yes. And you added it to the, to the thumbprint of you and to your children yes. with, an, with an active memory. Yes, right? and yes. So, Oh, she we, will we all never. do that in different ways. We all do that. We all have different thumbprints. You yes. just you used a cultural fluency point to put a deep thumbprint on. Yes. Them. And so that that becomes sort of the the fancy term is the liturgy of life. Yes. Like you're giving them a rhythm of this human journey. And, uh, 
it's beautiful. It is. It is, and except it's so I, fun. Except it's disgusting. It's yes. Gross. Yeah. I mean, I, I Which mean, I guess it's part of the. Listen, I'm, I'm grateful for traditions, but I'm glad my family didn't have that. One. Yeah. I think we made so, like Turkish delight uh, one weekend. We did too. With, uh, we did Narnia. that Turkish delight with Narnia. Okay. Oh my gosh, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Does she bring that up? No. <laughs> So, uh, as a genre, historical fiction, like you started the podcast by saying it's your favorite. Yes. And so, what if, if you were trying to win me over to it more, like, are there other books of historical fiction that are just good entry points for, for, other, for other readers? Like, Oh, my word. Well, historical fiction, the reason it's one of my favorites is like this. I learned so much about the time period. Mm. It just takes you through so much. She wrote a lot about New England. Oh. And the historical fiction of... It's just the, the Witch of mm. Blackbird Pond. Yes, yes. And so, you know, whether you're reading about the Underground Railroad or whether you're reading about Greece back in the time period or one of my favorite areas, I, I love British lit. That too, I, I learned so much. Do you have a historical fiction like book so. for for mm-hmm. younger students that you could recommend? I mean, the, the Little House on the Prairie is a great historical yeah. fiction yeah. for like my Farmer Boy. Yes, the, uh, Farmer Boy was one of my favorites oh, out of that. I learned. remember where I was. I do too. Where I was sitting when I read it in third grade. Oh, do you really? I do. I, I can I physically see wow. myself. Yeah. Reading Farmer Boy in our friend's huge RV. At a big Fourth of July uh, Air Force Thunderbirds oh my air word. show, and it was a bunch of people on a picnic out of the airfield, and I crowded in there. I had to finish Farmer Boy to see how it ended up. Yes. And my dad was like, "Come on, the Farber, the Thunderbirds are coming!" And I, exactly. but I, I have this imprint of Alfon- Alfonso. Uh huh. It's just so beautiful. I, I really like that too. Um, what's the book? Gosh, we read it in fourth grade. It's, it's called like The Great Horn Spoon. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, about about uh, the gold rush. Right? Uh-huh. And, oh, um, really? Yeah. And I remember in fourth grade, like the assignment was to read the first chapter and I was sitting in my dad's study at night and I read the entire book and he let me stay up until like one in the morning, right? Finishing this thing. I was just so captivated. It was the first time I was ever like captivated by a book. That was your That grade. was it. Yeah. And I remember going to school the next day, very tired, and <laughs> like, you know, r- proudly telling my teacher, like, I love this book. You know, that was sort of like the beginning of reading yes. for me was that yeah. piece of historical fiction. I so. always tell parents to get a blanket flashlight book. And I tell yeah. the kids that. All right, now, I don't want you a blanket flashlight book. I don't want you to get a book that you go, oh, this is a snoozer. I want you to get a book. There are great books. I want you to get one that when your parents tell you to go to sleep at night, it's so good. But I'm not telling you to disobey your parents. (laughs) But I am saying that I have heard of people who (laughs) put a blanket over their head and have a flashlight because it's that. Good. Oh, gosh, that's a great description. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, if any of Rod's kids would have done that, they wouldn't have been in trouble. They would have gotten extra Christmas presents. That's right. <laughs> I would have gotten in bed with them. <laughs> I've even given that as a present, a little blanket and a flashlight that's and a good. book. That's, that's good. beautiful. Because yeah. do, you, do you have kids that come into, students that come into sixth grade as sort of haters of reading? Absolutely. And then you, you get to see the conversion. Yes. You get to see the yes. conversion sometimes. 
Like I, I hated it until fourth grade, until really fourth Did grade, you? third and fourth grade. Between Farmer Boy and uh, um, Danny Champion of the World by oh. Roald Dahl. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I was awakened. That yeah. one I read in Washington, D.C. on a family vacation. Isn't that I remember where I was in the Smithsonian. Yeah. Wow. I remember telling my sixth grade science teacher, I just read the story of Albert Schweitzer. Oh. And I said to him, I said to my science teacher, I think I'm going to be a doctor because wow. I want to do what he, I remember it having an, an impact on my mind. But you, you see kids that go through like a conversion. Model. Oh, absolutely. Where? And one of the best things for that is to have, not for me, but to have other kids. What is the best book mm-hmm. you've ever read? And then have kids share that with each other. And then they start yeah. talking. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I read that. And then other people, you could see. I said, did it give anybody ideas? Yeah, I want to, you know, this guy said he'd never read a better book in his life. You know? So I have another question then. So optimistically speaking, we, we live in a digital world where everything's coming so fast. Yes. More and more, higher and higher percentage of the kids that come into your room every day actually have a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So they can get to the whole world and all its nonsense uh-huh. in their pocket, which mm-hmm. is which is a crisis. Do you find it harder to get kids to just go to a, a paper book, not a digital mechanism, but an actual paper book that smells like a library mm-hmm. and, and turn the pages and lose themselves in the pages where it's a... It's a slower pace yes. than this new digital crisis. Yes. That you know, I love the technology, but we're all we're all learning how to manage it. But how yes. how would you respond? Like, how are you using your class to try to win them over to not forget the paper world? What's interesting to me is that when it happens, when I see that come into my classroom, I can tell there are parents who are very involved oh. in keeping them in a book oh. or not. You can tell uh-huh. which children, mm-hmm. okay, we gotta get this right. You can tell, Miss mm-hmm. Guest, which children live in homes that promote books yes. and put aside the digital world. And I can tell it just in our conversation. For instance, the one I was just at, yeah. when we are, I said, okay, now I don't want just uh, some book, I want, the best book you've ever read. And I can tell, of course, in the, the conversations that come out, you know, well, I had that one, I had that one, you know, duh, duh, and who even has them? And one of the things is uh, some of the parents are really good at making really good books available oh. to them. They make a concerted effort to go and get the ones that they really feel like would be of interest so that when they walk by the table they go what is it wait that kind of looks interesting type of thing rather than the, par- the parents are promoting it yes. making it available yes making it easy for the kids mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you say this about parents right i have mm-hmm. a six-year-old who's finishing kindergarten and my first thought is where do i go to know where those books are those great books like where like and i'm sure there's lots of parents listening how do I find these books that will captivate my kids and give them this this love of reading? Well, there are several places. One, I have a lot of people who just will follow a Newbery list or something. I mean, they call them good books for a reason. 
They have all kinds of lists. There's a lamplighter list. There's a classics list. You know, American Library. You do have to be careful what you're presenting. Are they aged? Like, is there anywhere that's like kind of like, you know, first, second grade, you know, here's the right... Yes, they're all graded. For instance, if you go into Barnes & Noble, my favorite section in Barnes & Noble is the little kids section. Mm -hmm. And so I go in there and I see what's available. And they have it, you know, graded as far as, is your kid, uh, have they gone from picture books now into the the next books, the next the chapter books. And some are tried and true. I remember um, talking about a, a, a book of Alexander and the Horrible, No Good, Very Bad yeah. Day. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a little kid's book, but, oh, they just love that. Yeah. Anything that has humor in it, uh, you know, and he ends up by saying, or I'll just go to Australia. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Marvel, thank you so much. Of course. For being here. And thank you beyond that, just for your amazing contributions to this community over so many years. Uh, it won't be the same without you. Oh. So. Well, that's kind of you to say. That's very You are kind. leaving quite a legacy. Well, yes, you are. Well, thank you. That's very kind. And Rod, of course. Thanks for joining us again. Looking forward to whatever book we have next time. I'm enjoying this so much. I can see why. Yeah, my yes. reading list is getting pretty I'm long learning, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> learning how to look at books through a different lens has been a lot of fun. It's been great. And uh, we'll continue again. Thanks to those of you listening wherever you are. Uh, this has been another episode of our Eagle Perspective podcast. If this is your first one, you can find other episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, or other places where podcasts are available. And we will join you again soon.